Praise God. I am looking forward to the next little while. Uh, I wanted to talk to you guys and let you know just a little bit. You know, we have Dan Muller. He's going to be here in a couple of weeks. That sounds bizarre. We booked him a y- almost a year and a half ago and uh, with COVID and everything. But Dan's going to be here in a couple of weeks. He's uh, starting on the 21st. And there's a conference part of that, but there's also the Joyland service part of it. So all of you be welcome to come to the Joyland service that Friday night, just like our regular service, regular service time. And the same thing goes for all of you on Zoom. You guys are ready, uh, welcome to log in. We're, uh, we're attracting some other folks from different parts of the country and different places around here on the conference part. But, but Dan's going to be here and be speaking next Friday. And I, uh, uh, a week from Friday, yeah, a week from Friday, sorry. So I'm already getting good up. But what I want to do is I want to take these next two weeks and kind of prepare us for what Dan's going to preach. And you would say, well, how would you know what Dan's going to preach? You ask him? No, I haven't asked him, but I know Dan. And I know that, that you guys know that a couple of the, the phrases that are constantly a part of, of Dan Muller's message is that, that Jesus didn't come and go on the cross to get us to heaven. He got on the cross and he came down here and got on the cross to get heaven into us. And, and the other thing is about, it's one thing to just do love. It's another thing to become love. And I'm certain, I'm certain that Dan's going to be bringing a message of love. Uh, we're, so, uh, I, I was, uh, uh, pre- preparing, you know, we had a conference here last week. It was pretty good. And uh, I was busy thinking about a bunch of stuff this week and asking the Lord where we're going to go. And so this is like one of the most fundamental messages I could possibly ever share with you. I'm just going to talk about uh, love out of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 today. But but I'm I'm kind of excited to do it. And then I'm going to uh, borrow a quote from a text that uh, Kristen sent me to explain why and why I think it's important. So uh, if you got your Bibles, uh, I'm going to be having Scripture up here, and I'm going to have, uh, most of it's going to be out of David Bentley Hart's translation, just because it, it reads a little different and thinks a little differently about, um, it jars our mind when it's not the way we expect it to be. But 1 Corinthians, we're going to start with the last few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So, Father, I pray that you would uh, tie this in to, to all that you've been teaching us and all that you've been pulling us into over the last while and over this last week even. Uh, I particularly, Father, want to thank you for the ascensions this week and the invitations that they were to see through your eyes and to be guided by your eye and uh, just the investment that you're making in our body through these encounters with you. I pray, Lord, that would spill over into everybody, uh, people that were at, or whether you were at the Ascension or not. Just just want to gift you and bless you with the, that which the Lord is pouring out in our midst over that. Same same thing I, I want to do with the conference that was here last week. Lord, I thank you for the teaching of, of Nancy and, and Darla and of Yana, and particularly the teaching of the accessibility and the gift that a Sabbath, that a Sabbath rest and a sa- Sabbath observance of, of Freedom, the kind, doesn't have to be one way or another, but the gift that it is for us and the simple truth uh, when it was read that uh, you said, Jesus, that 
man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. And so the rest and the ability to lay down the pressure that accumulates throughout our lives on a week, I just bequeath that to us in Jesus' name. I pray that uh, we could really take advantage of the fact that we're meeting tonight on Friday and uh, bless you if you go to another church on the weekend, but bless you if you stay in your PJs on Sunday morning too and you rest and and on Saturday. So anyway, praise God. Um, all right, a more excellent path. This is a path... Uh, this is what Paul talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. So we'll look at this in the first one. Follow the path and desire the gifts. Now, the reason that tagline's on there is because one of the things we've been doing and that God's been doing with us and for us over the last little while is we've, um, we, we have come to understand the Lord wants us to re-engage fully and we kind of let it slip and we've done the apologies and all that. But we kind of let it slip on, on the supernatural and praying for one another and miracles on seeking God and prophetic words and stuff like that. And the Lord's been gracious, gracious by just us simply saying, Lord, we're willing. He's been speaking. He's been showing up. We've had some wonderful times. Uh, so that links a little to this. There is a path associated with that, and there's a path associated with our life, and there are gifts associated with that. So that's where we're going to go. So the first thought is I want us to distinguish a little bit between the gifts and love. So this is 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 29. And uh, you know there's a bunch there about uh, in 1 Corinthians 12 about spiritual gifts. And believe me, I'm not denigrating the spiritual gifts. Uh, if I was going to try to minimize the importance of the spiritual gifts, I wouldn't compare them with love. I would compare them with other things, other gifts. Um, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all powers? Do all have graces bestowed for healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? It's obvious the way... Uh, Heart translates it, and it's true, the way anybody translates it, really, that in the apostles' mind, no, not, not everyone is all these things. Okay, These are all their gifts, and these are big, huge gifts. These are gifts of the character and person and ministry and, and, and a portion of who Jesus is to the church. And you could go to Ephesians, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. So these are super-duper important. But then he says this at the whole chapter about that starts with saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant of them. He goes on, he articulates that, and he, he goes, then he says, but uh, be zealous for the greater gifts of grace or the greater gifts. And we're going to hear him say, use this word, same word, uh, zeal, be zealous for the greater gifts. And to you, I show a more excellent path. All right. This is how it reads and more familiar in the New American Standard, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I'll show you still a more excellent way. Okay, so I'm trying a new technique to see if it makes complicated slides easier. The blue is the Greek for the phrase greater gifts. And so what that means, the word greater there, mezona, uh, is it means the more. That's the basic, the more, greater, in a greater degree. It's not super complicated, but I want you to have confidence in, confidence in the translation because both are translated the same way, uh, both versions, I mean. And it just literally means the bigger of the things, the, the more significant, the more valuable. And it, it's going to come up again. And then gift is, is like a spiritual gratuity, a spiritual gift 
a miraculous fa faculty or one of the, the definitions I thought was pretty cool about it, a freely bestowed favor, and that's the charismata. That's where we get the word charismatic, we understand. So it's talking about a, a miazona charismata is a more significant gift, a greater gift. Be zealous for greater gifts of grace. And, and I don't, the, the greater could mean uh, more important, could be more significant, could be more valuable. Later, and in 1 Corinthians 14, after we get through 13, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul articulates some of his thoughts on greater gifts, gifts that lead to edification of the church, gifts that lead to uh, the expansion of the kingdom. Those, those are the kind of greater gifts. Uh, we talked a little bit uh, on Tuesday night about the need to discuss what Jesus meant when he said, greater things than I do. This concept of greater, when it applies to that, probably needs some more thought. So it's not the topic for tonight, but I just want you to know that the gifts are awesome. Okay? The gifts are awesome. But they are not the path. The path is awesome. Hooper Bolin Hodon. Hooper Bolin means Bolin is, is to throw, and so it means to throw beyond. It's it's a it's a very active thing. When Paul says a more uh, excellent way, uh, it means to throw beyond. It, it's a way that takes you from one place and takes you far beyond something else. One time when I did a word study on this, the illustration that struck me the most was it would be like a, a, a in an a, Olympic competition or something. And somebody's got a, a javelin or shot put or discus or whatever it is that's a throwing uh, competition. And you've thrown and you've thrown and you've thrown. And they were all out there kind of peppered in the same general area. But then this hooper, the bigger part, hooper bolin, all of a sudden you uncork one. And it just goes. And it's not just like a couple inches beyond. It's like it sets a new standard. And that literally is the thought. Hooperbolum, it sets a new, a new standard. And then the way is a road, a path. It also can be the journey. It can be used, you know, like people would say, well, that's the road I've walked for a while. So it's movement from here to there. It's the journey. It's the thing. So this, this more excellent way is is a it's it's a explosive bigger than ever make the crowd stand up and cheer path boom that's what love is we're going to see that in just a second does it make sense all right now the gifts are on the way the gifts are on the way They'll be on the way if the way's not Hooper Bolin. They'll be on it if it is. All right, so now let's just work through 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of human beings and of angels, but do not have love, I have become resounding brass and clanging cymbal. And if I have prophecy and know all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith in such a sort as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I distribute all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that it may be burned and do not have love, I am profiting nothing. Now, 
All I want us to, to, to do is to give Paul the benefit of the doubt in that what he's saying is simple and, and, and dramatic and direct. He's, he's contrasting gifts with this way of love. And he's explaining why it's Hooper Bowman. Partly it's because it takes you from one place to another. Whereas a gift is something that you receive and then you can give, but it's like a thing. It's like a thing encapsulated in time, or the way I'd like us to think about it is it's like a thing we receive at a place on the way. So as we're journeying in love, we need to earnestly desire the greater gifts. Because the journey will take us, the journey of love will take us into people and into places where the gift is the thing you need. Make sense? And that's, I think, where we find ourselves. I think we're finding ourselves in a place where we're walking, but sometimes, sometimes, I know I've been guilty of this because I have the charismatic uh, and the third wave credentials to prove it, where I thought that it was the greater gift that got me the next step down the journey. That if only, if only it would manifest this way, that would put me up here. And if only this would happen, that would put me up here. And I'm here to tell you that's not the way to think about it. And in not thinking about it that way, it doesn't minimize the gifting. But the gift is not the way. The more excellent way is compared to the gifts, and it's not meant to make the the gifts seem small. If I speak with tongues of human beings and of angels, there's nothing denigrating about that. I'll do that. I hope you do it. Paul goes on to say, I speak with tongues more than you all. There was nothing negative about this, but he says, but do not have love. I don't, I'm, I'm not on that journey. I'm not in that road. I'm not being hurled down there beyond where I've ever gone before. Then I have become a resounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Again, please don't think about this as diminishing speaking in tongues of men and angels. Think about it as trying desperately to emphasize how important the journey of love is, the the way of love. All right, next one. And if I have prophecy and know all the mysteries and all the knowledge. Now, (laughs) do you see what I mean? Paul can't possibly be denigrating the gift. He's hyperbolizing the gift. He's he's making it hyperbolic, like that word, hyperbole. He's making it hyperbole, actually. He's saying, look, prophecy, he later talks about as one of the greater gifts because it edifies the church. If you have prophecy to the extent that you know everything, that you see everything, he's trying to explain why the superlative about the path of love. Okay? If I have prophecy and know all the mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith such as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. Now this is the first clue we have that the difference, that's a huge difference between the, the, the impetus that love is and the impetus that a gift is. The gift doesn't make you anything. Love makes you like God. Love makes us 
like God because God is love. That's why we can't confuse these things. And that's why once you get it, you don't ever need to worry about the gift being diminished anymore. Give it to me, Lord. Small, large, medium. I'm not depending on it to be who I am. I'm who I am because I am on the path of love. And therefore, if I need a little prophetic insight to encourage somebody out of a little depression, bless God. And if I need to be able to lay hands on a corpse I find in the forest that's rotting in maggots to raise them from the dead, praise God. Because that's not, that's, the gift is not who I am. Loves who I am. And I, I pull that illustration out of Heidi Baker's situation over in Mozambique when the kids find these people that are torn up by animals out there. And you go, hey, Heidi, come find me. And, you know, bugs and maggots. Boom. All right, so I want us to be prepared to think this way over these next couple of weeks, not only because Dan is coming and there's going to be an occasion to be prayed for and to receive prayer and to have faith and all kinds of stuff. I don't know what he's going to, what God's going to do. But I want us to be prepared because this is the commitment we've made. Lord, we are going to live in the love of the Father. We're going to walk this journey. We're going to become love. I mean, we're not doing that because Dan's coming. We've been doing that for a long time, trying to do that. I, I was um, with pastors this weekend in our monthly pastor prayer meeting, and I, I wasn't trying to do anything, just listen and pray. But um, uh, at the end, they had us celebrate uh, Pentecost and the, what, what's the, I'm sorry, the, the, this celebration, Shabbat Okay. So yeah, so we, 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 we were celebrating that in two separate little instances of prayer. And I just stood there and prayed. I go, Lord, I just pray for a fresh revelation for all of us that we can pass on to the people in our church. Oh, I didn't remember praying this. That's probably why I'm preaching this. Um, that you said you love us with the exact same love that you love Jesus with. And I go, how, how else could it be? Because how many loves do you have? You just have love. Because <laughs> you are love. You don't, there's not, he's not lots of kinds of love. He's just, he's love, you know? And so anyway, that was that. Okay, now, if I distribute all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may be burned and do not have love, I am profiting nothing. So even the gifting and the ministry that comes uh, as a, a give to receive, a give to bless, a give to do this, it's not going to return the profit. That's not what it's about if we don't have love. So love is the air, the breath, the context, the path, the road, the journey, the context. Love is what all the gifts are for. Love is what all the gifts represent when God gives them through us. When we heal somebody, they're being loved. When we give and feed someone, they're being loved. They're being loved. Okay, make sense? All right. Love, okay, so here's, here's why I had to put a couple of uh, familiar NASB words in. Love is magnanimous. All right, so now, Paul's getting away from having to just create the context with the gifts, 
and he's pulling our thoughts into love itself. So just let this, let this, uh, think of this defining your journey. Thinking of it, think of it literally being the elements that pull you along the path. Okay? Love is magnanimous. Patient. I like magnanimous better. It's bigger. Love is kind. Love is not envious. Love does not boast. So you know, notice there's some things here that love is, and there's some stuff that love's not. Right? Right? Love does not act in an unseemly fashion, does not seek for its own things, is not irascible. NASB translates that provoked. I think I like irascible better, but I don't know what it means. Really. Love does not take an account of an evil deed. I probably could have put one in here. Love may, uh, keeps no record of a wrong suffered. Love keeps no record of a wrong suffered. Let me suggest to you that we might have an inaccurate image of judgment if we still think, like I did with the Chick Tracks in the 60s, where God is sitting behind a desk with a hammer in one hand, anvil in one, or a uh, mallet in one hand, and a lightning bolt in the other, literally trying to reconcile the record of wrongs. Judgment is different than that. Believe me, I believe in judgment. Don't, don't, uh, don't say he's, Larry's weak on judgment or not. I don't think that God exempts himself from does not take an account of an evil deed. So we must rethink judgment on the path of love. Does not take account of an evil deed, does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices with the truth. It tolerates all things, has faith in all things, hopes in all things, endures all things. So, if this is simply true, God has an enormous amount of magnanimity. Magnum, that, that word up there. He's patient with all things. What things? All things. Good things? Yeah. Less than good things? He's patient, yeah. He doesn't rejoice in injustice. But he can afford to be a little patient with it. Because love is something that takes you to a new place. Injustices can't survive the journey of love. They won't. So they'll be real, and they can be irritating as all get-outs, but they won't survive the journey. As faith in all things, does he have faith in me when on my journey I fail? Yes. Yes. He hopes in all things. Now, I'm saying he, I'm personifying this. You could challenge me on that. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying, Paul's saying this is what love is. And John says this is who love is. God is love. So the characteristics of love define God. They're not just a list of behaviors that you and I need to correspond to. And matter of fact, they couldn't define you and I. Unless what John said in John, 1 John chapter 4 is true. You love, you do this, because he first loved you. So we are loved, and as a result, all these things begin to manifest 
truly and become us on this path, on this journey. And then on this journey, as we are having faith in all things, all of a sudden, a gift is available. As we are having patience, a gift is available. As we are enduring, gifts are available. Love never fails. I have a super good friend, preacher. You guys all know him. I won't mention his name. I said, what do you think that means? Because he was getting super nervous about the fact that that love's going to win. And uh, he said, it means love never quits. I go, well, it doesn't say that, but okay. It says love never fails. It almost seems to go without saying that a God who is love ain't a quitter. So I think it means something other than quit. It probably means love never fails. But if there are prophecies, now here we get back into the contrast again. If there are prophecies, they will be made ineffectual. And this is where I really wanted to use David Bentley Hart's translation because it's, it, 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 it's easier to understand what's being said here and you don't have to pick on prophetic and gifts and various things. Love never fails, but if there are prophecies, they will be made ineffectual. If tongues, they will cease. If knowledge, it will be made ineffectual. For we know partially and we prophesy partially, but when that which is complete comes, what is partial will be rendered futile. Okay? So here's the word. Uh, it's a single word translated rendered futile. Uh, kata gar, oops, sorry. Kata katar gethasetai. Say that again three times. Katar gethasetai. It means to be rendered unproductive or ineffectual, to cause something to lose its power or its effectiveness and to cause something to come to an end. And the best way to think about this is not that it is worthless, but it is needless. In other words, at the end of love's path, there will be no need for prophecy because all will be seen. When we're journeying, when we know part, Prophecy is the gift that fills in the parts. But it won't be necessary forever. So it's not that it's worthless. It's not that it's not a value. It's just that when we're, when we're standing there in the New Jerusalem on a restored earth and the Lamb and the Father are on the throne and we're before Him and our eyes are opened and the glory is all around us, nobody will need to say, Behold the Lord! <laughs> Because it will be impossible not to behold the Lord, right? Now, we have a foretaste of that in the New Covenant. Because one of the criteria in the New Covenant, spoken of in Hebrews chapter 8, is that uh, no man in this New Covenant that Jeremiah prophesied about, and that Jesus inaugurated through the covenant of his blood, no man will say to his neighbor, know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest. That's pretty special. We haven't taken full advantage of that yet. But it, it's, it's something that's a reality on the road to love. The, ro- the love road. We get to see more and more. We've experienced it some. We had just two magnificent ascensions this week. Uh, on Monday, we were, we were brought in, and uh, according to the Psalm, Psalm, was it Psalm 19? 
Yeah, 19. I will guide you by my eye. And the Lord invited us to get in his eye and look and see the world the way he saw it. That's pretty special. And then on Wednesday, he took us right back to that same thing and started showing us this resource warehouse that was six-sided and big like the Pentagon's, how it looked from above. We zoomed down in, got down inside it, and there was multitudes of everything. There was timepieces for time's sake, and there was trumpets and all kinds of horns for declaration and announcement, and there was vegetables in abundance. It was really pretty cool. So the point is, is that as we make our journey on love, these things, they don't go away in the sense like cessationists believe. They go away because they're fulfilled. Their purpose is made needless. And you never know when that, that, that might happen because love is so amazingly powerful that you may take a step forward in your journey of love or a step up in your journey of love and the way you operated in a given gift might need to change. Because what at one point was foreknowledge might actually be present experience at that point. And so we just got to keep our hearts soft about this. But again, it's not denigrating the power of the gifts. It's magnifying the journey of love. Okay? So that's what that means, render futile. I hope that helps. That helped me. Uh, because I, 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 I just didn't want to ever in my mind pit myself against these precious gifts that God gives us. When they're wholly contained in the path of love, there's a place for them. All right, now, this is a, I appreciated Bentley Hart too because it spared me some agony on my childness preoccupation. I'm really, if you, if you haven't been here before, I think our most basic identity is to be a child of the Father. And so one of the first questions everybody asks when I say, yeah, we're, uh, God's our Father before He's our Creator and we're a child and all this kind of stuff, they quote this first. And, and uh, New American Standard says, when I was a child. So when I was an infant, I spoke like an infant, I thought like an infant, I reckoned like an infant. Having become a man, I did away with infantile things. This weekend at the conference, there was a big emphasis on sonship. And a lot of times, uh, our emphasis on growing into mature sons is contrasted against remaining childish or acting childish or thinking childish. Uh, I would just encourage you briefly to realize that no one ever became a child. I mean, a son who wasn't a child. No one ever became a son. As a matter of fact, no one ever became a king who wasn't a, a child. No one ever became a priest. No one ever became a preacher. No one ever became an adult. And I would also just encourage you to think that Jesus, God, uh, the Father could have manifest, or let me put it the other way, this would be better. The Son could have manifest in an adult body. And God could have, if He really wanted to make it pop for the Jews, He'd have had Him show up in that adult body on the top of Mount Hermon and come down with an angelic escort. And a lot of the confusion about who is this guy from Nazareth who really was from Bethlehem wouldn't have happened. But He didn't do that. Instead, He came out the womb of a young woman. And He came out crying, contrary to iconic art, pooping, needing to be bathed, needing to be nursed. So, there's something special about child. So, yes, Ryan? What about Adam? What about Adam? He was kind of big when he showed up. Do you think so? 
think I think so. Yeah, I, I did for a long time. I don't think so anymore. I don't think so anymore. A guy you respect, Paul Young, wrote a book called Eve, fiction, but he he pondered that theology, and he has El Shaddai, the many-breasted one, caring for Adonai, actually, caring for the young Adam. You should read it. It's called Eve. Pretty fun. Uh, that's probably, that was free, and uh, just ignore that if it troubles you. Uh, it didn't say Adam became a man. It said he became a living soul, and God breathed into him. And nobody was there to measure how long the dirt body was that God breathed into. And we know that time, there's more time involved in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 than we think, right? So could he have been little? Yes. You have a question, Dave? Yeah. It's okay, just for the Zoomer side. Yeah, come on up, though. Come on up. Uh, it is. There you go. Just get close. Okay, we have a tendency to think that God came down and visited Eden every once in a while. And there are theologians that believe that, no, that's where he dwells. Yeah. yeah. And so it would be easy for him to raise Adam. Yeah, there you go. That's a good point, see? Dave's smart, too, so you don't have to take my word for it. Dave and I give you permission, if you want to think about whether Adam was little or full size when he was made, go ahead. Go ahead. I get the impression Eve came full size, but I don't know. I haven't thought about it. It's not the main point, and neither's this. Uh, yes, I, I. Oh, I, I do want to make one one point out of this, though. Okay, so I really am like preoccupied with helping people understand that childness is their most basic identity. But you know what? We do not have, in any way, shape, or form, to compromise believing what the Scripture says at one moment in our lives, just to balance it against what we think it says at another moment. So the absolute truth here is: don't think like an infant. Be innocent. Uh, of evil and be be mature is good and when it's time to grow into a mature son grow into a mature son so someday i'm going to do a a a series on uh, the unbelief or the vulnerability of unbelief due to the urgency to create balance when we read the scripture take the scripture that god has got you in Read it, receive the challenge of it, and take it to Jesus to get life. He doesn't say that you search the Scripture because um, you think that in it you'll find life. And they are that which speak of me, but you refuse to take it and compare it to other Scriptures that speak of me. That's how we study. And I'm not saying it's not okay to study systematically or whatever, but what I'm saying is if the Lord says to you, Hey, there's a point in your life where you're thinking and speaking like an infant and reckoning like an infant, but you're a man now. Stop thinking like an infant. Take that to Jesus and receive the life from it. And then when you go back to Matthew 18 and says, unless a man is converted to become like a little child, you won't enter the kingdom. Don't freak out and go, so do I think like a man or do I think like a kid? You see what I'm saying? We, we create that tension because of our weird views about what the Bible is supposed to be and do. It's right in front of you testifying about Jesus. Get on the path of love and go to him and get it. 
Okay, that's probably more than that deserved. Uh, for as yet we see by way of a mirror in an enigma, but then face to face. As yet we know partially, but then we shall know fully, just as I am known. And so this is a journey. And the, the, the partiality that we experience the, and see and all that kind of stuff now, it, it's nothing to be worried about. Stay on the, on the road of love. Okay? And then it says this at the end of the chapter, but now abide faith, hope, love, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Same word, the biggest. So let love be bigger than faith. Let it be more fundamental. Let it be more necessary. Now, I'm not against faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. So I'm not against faith, but I have lost hair, literally, trying to determine whether I had enough faith for what the Lord was asking me to do. And if I'd concentrated on love, I'd have as much hair as Tim has now. Still, the greatest of these is love. Okay? How about hope? What happens if you lose hope? Well, it's not a good thing, but it's not the end of the road because hope's not the road. Faith is. I mean, not love is. Love is. See what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. know. It's imperfect. All right. So now I wanted to jump to the, the first verse of 14. Pursue love. Okay, so now we've got a contrast established in our mind that I think might be appropriate. It'll still be nervous for some of us or whatever. And I just want to reassert one more time. I'm not asking anybody to minimize the significance of gifts. I'm asking you to open up your heart as an open space and let and realize that love is big enough to fill that space and carve out your journey. Okay? Pursue love and be zealous for spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, just a minute ago, we read prophecy is going to be rendered ineffectual. It's not now. It's not now. Well, Jen, what you shared, the thing about what that the Lord did with that verse in the song, these are super important things right now. And we need to earnestly desire that. And then 14, as you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, Paul goes on and talks about the gifts that edify and all that kind of stuff. But the word dioko or diokete in this context means to pursue. It means to follow after. It also is used to translate uh, persecute. And so, so that isn't too confusing. It's used in places like where, where Paul is described as chasing down the, the believers. See what I mean? So he's, they, they use that, that Paul was chasing it down. That's what we're talking about. We're to chase down love. We're to run down the path of love. Pursue love, press forward, and then zelu or zelote is to desire, to be positively and intensely interested in and be dedicated. So the reason I wanted to break these two words out for you is because I, uh, we're on this journey uh, that we 
said yes to a couple months ago in the elders meeting, and you guys say yes to every Friday when you come. We're on this journey to make a bigger, bigger deal out of supernatural, a bigger, bigger deal out of prophecy, a bigger, bigger deal out of laying hands on somebody, a bigger, bigger deal about praying for the sick and doing all this kind of stuff. And the, the only way that you can do that without getting all messed up eventually, and if you don't believe me, read the history of the latter rain movement, read the history of the manifest sons of God. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that, that the people didn't make room in their hearts on the road that is love to house the magnitude of the gifts that God was given. But if we will pursue intensely, devotedly, the path, the more excellent way, the hyperbolic, however far you've gone in love, watch God, expect God to throw you further. Then we can have intense interest in and completely devoted desire to the gifts. That make sense? Now, this is uh, where I'm going to read what, what Kristen shared. Because she sent me a text this morning. It was really beautiful. So, uh, Kristen, we, we already missed you, but we were glad that you were here. She was here for a few weeks. She was staying with Laura a lot, some of you. And then, um, so she wrote me this beautiful text uh, because she was headed out to Oklahoma, I believe. Um, oops, that's mine. Yeah, I know. I know. Oh, she's in Oklahoma now? Yeah. So, uh, Chris and I talked a lot, and, and one of the kind of thoughts before she came here to Colorado was that I'm going to go there, I'm going to encounter the Lord, I'm going to be completely healed, everything's going to be completely done. And, and she said, I had this idea that I was coming home totally free of sickness and pain, which I love that idea. I love that idea. And I heard myself say, and, and she quoted herself, if that's all I got out of the trip, what a shame that would be. And right, let me say that again. Kristen comes here with what I consider to be an absolutely legitimate and wonderful, and I was in 100% agreement with her, uh, that she's going to get totally healed, go totally pain-free, and plus a whole bunch of other things that, she, that were on her heart as she came and in her life. But she heard herself say, if that's all I got out of the trip, what a shame that would be. Huh? In other words, and this is the beautiful thing you shared. In other words, I would not trade the nuggets of gold from this trip for my wellness, as that's too small a gift compared to the riches I received while there. It was such a great time of practicing receiving his unconditional love from you guys. I'm so grateful, and I want to say thank you. Goodbye, and then I'll see you soon, which obviously we do see you soon right now. Now, so thank you for that. And, and thank you for being capable of living this revelation out and putting it into words. But the reason that I am preaching this with such passion and the reason I want to get this in our soul before Dan comes and before whatever else the Lord's doing with us and before we squander our passion for these supernatural gifts and the Lord's provision and all that He wants to do in our life is because, Kristen, when I read what you said I found myself hesitating to agree with you. Now, crap. My heart was exposed that I needed what Paul contrasted. 
Would I trade us releasing unconditional love to our sister for another level of the release of the miracle? And I had to go to the Lord. And I had to go, God, I'm sorry. So you blessed me and you provoked me. And it wasn't just, I don't even know how to describe what it pointed out. It pointed out error in my thinking. It pointed out that however I thought I thought about love, I was thinking about it too small. And I was thinking about it as less significant than it really was. And you shared that, and I was able to pretty immediately repent into that. And then I get this thing over here while we're worshiping in that one song, first song. My heart is an open place. And I couldn't see the horizons in my heart. And I I understood as I was standing there, there's no gift. There's no amount of provision. There's nothing that God can give me that I can take in my hands and receive that's going to be able to fill that place. Love. Love. There's room for love to fill that place. So anyway, thank you for letting me kind of expose that private moment between us, but it was... It's powerful. Now, am I standing and believe fully for everything to be restored that you got in your heart? Absolutely. And I think the odds of it not happening are like zero because of what the journey is, because of what the path is that, that Kristen's on, that we're on. As our path intersected, we experienced love. Dan's going to come here and he's going to preach to us about becoming love. Nancy talked about becoming love. I'm talking about being love. Jesus is becoming love. You know what I mean? That's the point. That's the point. So thank you, sweetie. Thank you. Remember the one we started on? Be zealous for greater gifts. You be zealous for prophecy. You desire it. You cut yourself loose for it. Let's expect it. Let's make room for it every second. But let's never lose sight of the fact that every gift that God gives us, if it's from Him, it's wrapped in love. Love is the context of whatever it is. Okay? But I want to show you a more excellent path. Love's the path. All right. So love is the path. It's the way we go from here to there. So love one another deeply. Love one another deeply. That's in between when you need the gifts. Love one another deeply. The gifts are the graces that come our way along. Let's want them. Let's be zealous for them. Let's expect them. Let's ask for them. Let's pray for them. Let's use them as we pray and minister to one another on the path to love, in the context of love, in the open space of love. Make sense? Any thoughts before we get the worship team up? Thank you, Kristen. You bless my heart.
Father, we love what you give, but we love becoming who you are. Conform us to the image of your Son. Your Son is love.